0: Hello my fellow Extraordinary Americans, my name is Cosmos Dhar and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is to becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. Welcome back to the show. In today's episode, we have Teresa Huff. Teresa Huff is host to the Grant Writing Simplified podcast. She's a TEDx speaker and the go to expert in grant writing and nonprofit strategy. She helped nonprofits triple their funding and maximize their impact. After winning over $7 million for schools and nonprofits, she now teaches nonprofits the strategies they need to develop billions in sustainable funding. Her podcast has been downloaded in over 100 countries across six continents. Thousands of students worldwide have completed her online grant writing programs. Teresa uses her master's in education and over 20 years of experience in writing, special education and business to help nonprofit leaders take their skills to the next level. She mentors grant writers through their interactive fast track to grant writer VIP programs available for university level credit. Teresa is committed to helping people maximize their impact and help them make a difference in this world. She's definitely what I would consider an extraordinary American, and I'm really glad to have her as a guest in this podcast. Teresa, are you there?
1: Hello. Thank you for the kind introduction, and it's great to be on the show.
0: It's an honor to have you here on the show. I'm really excited to interview you, Teresa. So, Teresa, tell me a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you got started.
1: When I graduated from college, I started out as a special ed teacher. And a lot of people think, well, wait, then how did you get into grant writing? And when we first had kids, I wanted to stay home when they were little. So I heard of a lady nearby who did grant writing, and I asked her to meet for coffee. And she was a brilliant resource. At the time, Google was not a thing, so I couldn't just look up how to be a grant writer. And So I met with her and by the end of our conversation, she said, you know, I'd love to have you join our team. I'm looking to add a couple of people if you're interested. So I jumped at the chance to work with her for a couple of years and learned a lot. She was a brilliant mentor and a wonderful person, such a good grant writer and got some great experience with her. And then when we moved away, I branched out on my own and started consulting with clients and building up my own business through word of mouth. And kept going from there. And so it's kind of evolved over time. For a long time, I did grant writing consulting and then some other things along the way. And then more recently, the last probably three years or so, I've gotten more into the teaching and coaching and strategy side of grant writing. Because after working with nonprofits over the years, I saw certain patterns of things that worked really well and things that did not work and started picking out those things that worked and putting those together and realizing if I can help nonprofits upstream and ship their strategy, they can be so much more effective on their missions and with their grant applications. And understanding that piece of that can really help transform them in a much bigger way. So that's where I've shifted now and I'm focusing more on the strategic side. And also with teaching grants, because I can only write so many grants myself, but I can teach other people, and then we can have a much bigger impact that way. So that's been the journey with lots of ups and downs and learning curves, but it's been one I wouldn't trade.
0: Oh, that's awesome, Tree. So, so like, what was your motivating factor that, uh, that made you go into the entire grant writing career? Or like, what was it about grant writing that just Uh, was like, okay, I want to do this uh, as like, a it's like a major part of my identity. And I want to do this all together.
1: That's a good question. I always really enjoyed writing. And it was pretty natural for me to be a good writer. And I liked the idea of grant writing. And maybe it was from being a special ed teacher in the classroom and thought, you know, that would be a cool way to help schools get more money. And I didn't know much about nonprofits yet. But I found that grant writing was a way to really combine my training. And in special education, we have to write pretty extensive individualized education plans on each student. And that was my one of my favorite parts of the job was describing and writing out the programs and figuring out the best strategies for each individual person. And so I realized that was a perfect translation into grant writing and using my education degree And having a master's, some of the curriculum design and program design with grants really went hand in hand. So a lot of the things I had trained for, even though I thought it was special education, actually was the perfect preparation for grants. And then realizing I can have a big impact on an entire community of people and not just one classroom of 15 or 20 kids, but I can impact an entire school district or an entire county by helping their food pantry get food for the whole year or by helping the school get half a million dollars to overhaul their entire technology and library program. So it was a way to have a bigger impact on causes and places and people that I still cared very deeply about using the skills I already had in place and just tweaking and growing those a bit.
0: Teresa, there's like a lot over there, right? And it's just just incredible because you know, like, Getting grants is, and it's, it's, it seems easy on the surface, but it's really difficult to do. But a lot of people, like, especially in our audience, they have a, they, they might not have an understanding of nonprofit and attaining grants, but in the future, like, they want to make an impact in the world and they want to make a difference. If, if you had to tell a beginner or, like, basically explain to a beginner who's never been in the nonprofit uh, area or how to do grants, like, how do you explain to them? Those process of getting even started in the nonprofit industry, or like, or like writing grants, or like getting grants.
1: That's one of the most common questions I hear is people say, "Where do I start?" And a lot of people don't realize they already probably have some pretty good skills to work with. Like I didn't realize as a teacher that I had some really transferable skills. And people come to me from different backgrounds. But understanding that and understanding the process of grants is really helpful. So I always recommend looking at what skills do you have to work with already and what's around you as far as what nonprofits are in your community, where have you already worked or volunteered, what are you connected to? And if you are already working with a nonprofit, looking at what funders are available in the community, what opportunities are here locally where we can build relationships And that's one piece that people often miss. They see grants as just an ATM machine, a way to get money in. But really, it's more about building a relationship. And there's a person on the other side of every grant we write. So we need to write for that person and get to know the person. What do they care about? And how can we help them fulfill that mission that they want to impact by giving them this proposal? So it really becomes more of a community partnership. And when someone's looking to start, look at what you have to work with and what's around you and how can you plug into that. And I like to tell people, instead of crossing the Grand Canyon, let's find the shortest distance from point A to point B. And that's where you start. So if you're really great at social media and digital marketing, maybe you start working with a nonprofit to help them in that regard but at the same time, also start looking at grants and opportunities and how can we expand this? And so you're building on what you have to work with instead of starting from scratch and trying to walk in cold.
0: Like a lot of people wouldn't even know like where to begin with grants. Like they're just, they just have in their mindset, okay, I'm gonna like write like a letter or like an application to somebody and then just talk about my cause, but then why would they give me money? So what would you tell those people that like, who are beginners that want to start a nonprofit in the future, but they're like, wow, this is a daunting task. Like what 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 am I gonna do to convince and persuade? Because I think that's where the grant writing is all about persuasion, right? But in a lot of people, like they find the idea of like persuading an organization or even the government to give them money to help for their cause a pretty daunting challenge. So what would you tell people like that?
1: I'm glad you asked that because that does come up a lot. And really, people don't always understand that grants come much later in the process of a nonprofit. People sometimes think nonprofits, you can just start a nonprofit and get grant funding and that'll take care of everything off the ground. But really, grants are looking for established programs that other people are already investing in and that you're stable, your program is up and running, you have other sources of funding in place. Then you can move on to grant applications from there, and they can become a part of what you're already doing, as opposed to startup funds. Because lots of people have ideas and need money for the startups, but that's not what most grants are looking to invest in. They want to invest in the stabilized program. So, if someone, like you said, is looking to start a nonprofit, First, research the market and see what's already happening, just like with the business. What's already out there so that you're not duplicating services? What gaps are there that need to be filled? And how can you work together to fill those gaps? So then you start building up your team, your board, your fundraising, your other aspects of your program. And then down the road a year or two, you can start looking at grant funding.
0: Yeah, there's like so many, so many things to like uh, delve into over here. But like, I wanted to know one thing is like, what was your overall arching goal and vision when it came to like nonprofit? Like, where do you, where do you see is like the ultimate vision for nonprofit in America and in the world altogether? Like, how do you see it affecting the world? And like, for you personally as well, in terms of your personal vision.
1: You know, that is something that has really evolved over time. And it's evolving more and more, even as we speak. And with starting my own podcast around grants, I've realized from talking to so many different people in the nonprofit space that we really need to shift upstream and help grant or help nonprofits at a much higher level so that they can be more successful down the road. And so I feel like a lot of education a lot of conversations like this, a lot of misconceptions need to be debunked. A lot of things in the sector need to shift around that to better support nonprofits. And for example, when I gave my TEDx talk recently, I talked about how so many people say, oh, just get a grant for that. You have a nonprofit? Oh, you should just get grants. But grants are more like training for a marathon. They're not like a microwave hot pocket. It's more like you've got to train and prepare and build a really solid foundation. And then you're ready for grants. And so we as a society can better support nonprofits by helping them build that framework and that foundation to have that bigger return on impact.
0: So Teresa, what are the, the greatest things about nonprofits, right? And it's it's a really interesting intersection that I find in, uh, in the overall, like on a national level is, It's actually the ultimate, in a way, it's like the greatest thing against like a big government altogether uh, because a lot of people, a lot of times people want a, a, a big government in order to supply food, this and that. But if nonprofits take up that opportunity and do that, then we can actually have a small government and then it actually helps the economy in the long term. It's the reason why I wanted to invite you to the show and like dig your mind into this because... In in a way, it actually helps the economy in the long term because a lot a lot of times people, uh, they go through a lot of suffering. Like they need money, they need help, and nonprofits can be the organizations that help these people. Like like be the charity uh, organizations. But if they are not there, then what we have is a big government. Then there'll be more people that would need. Oh, we will just support big government, and then that will lead to something like socialism or something like that. So it's something that I noticed, you know, like, like a point that I noticed in my mind.
1: Spot on. And, you know, one of I'm actually hosting a Mythbusters roundtable next week about this because a lot of people seem to think that we shouldn't fund nonprofit overhead, that oh, we want our money to just go to the program itself. We don't want anything to go to overhead when really the overhead expenses of a nonprofit are a part of the program. And at the part of executing the program, well, nonprofits need overhead support and they need help covering those expenses so they can deliver the program and fulfill those needs exactly like what you're saying, because there are these gaps in society and that's why nonprofits are created. And on the plus side, the nonprofits I encounter are full of such caring, giving people some of the best people in the world because of this cause, this mission that they just are so compelled to help and be a part of and help solve this problem, whatever it is. And so it's really encouraging to see that. But then at the same time, we also need to support them financially because they don't need to burn out. There's so much turnover in the sector because people have a perception that nonprofits should just operate on a shoestring as opposed to businesses where it's great for a business to thrive and make money. But for some reason, the perception is that nonprofits should just be bare bones. But I feel like the sector as a whole, we need to flip that and have respect for the work they're doing so that, like you said, it doesn't turn into government taking over all these programs.
0: No, I mean, I totally agree with you, because if you look at it, if there are different nonprofit organizations, it's it's a decentralized network that's Helping people all together, and they're not trying to be authoritarian. They're not trying to control you. They are just trying to help. But in uh, when it comes to like big government programs, it starts off, uh, it starts off with the pretense that they're going to help you, but in the end, they'll just take over, you know. And it's, it's kind uh,
1: of the opposite, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what you're doing is really amazing. Like I want the audience to know that you know, like nonprofits are what keeps like what keeps like a small government and what keeps the economy thriving all together and uh, and it stops like this big spending all all of that you know but yes. i wanted to ask i wanted to ask you like what is like, the biggest lesson you learned during your time like working with uh, like writing grants for nonprofits
1: oh my goodness <laughs> so many <laughs> which ones do you want and, like What's the biggest it? lesson
0: like something that was just like profound Mm That it just shaped your entire worldview altogether. There was no going
1: back. No, what?
0: There was no going back. Like, that was the moment you're like, wow, okay, I learned this lesson. Like, now my worldview is like forever altered. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you mine. When I was, yeah, I can tell you mine. Like, my, for me, it was just if you have a bunch of decentralized, like, as I was saying, like, nonprofit organizations that are caring, compassion, that help the people in their cities and then their towns, they supply food, they supply water, uh, they're taking care of the basic necessities, that we would have no need for big government altogether. It will solve that problem altogether. And then there'll be no threat of authoritarianism. Like for me, that was a profound thing. Like I would definitely try to support as many nonprofits that are actually trying to help people. Uh, stand on their own feet and make them independent. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but for you, what, would, what, what was the biggest uh, insight or lesson that you learned altogether?
1: I'd say, I don't know if this is a lesson. It's just been more of a challenge that I've been feeling in the last year, the last few months or so of just needing to shift to more of a global impact level. Because nonprofits are a huge piece of our sector, like you're saying. And if we can shift the perception and the support around nonprofits, we can start to really shift the impact of what they're doing on some of these issues and social problems and the missions that they're trying to carry out. But a lot of nonprofits just don't know how. And so they need the tools and support we need as a society to better provide that and to come alongside them instead of saying, oh, just get a grant for that and thinking we've been supportive and done our job. Let's actually support. And with my ROI framework in my talk of building relevance, optimization and interaction and helping them with those three key pieces Then we can really support them and truly do that. And that's where it needs to start by not just throwing out quick little advice, thinking we're being helpful when really it's more stumbling blocks, but actually coming alongside as a part of them and partnering with them to support them. And that needs to shift to more of that global message for me. And it's more of a compelling thing, like starting the podcast and all these different pieces that I've been doing.
0: It's not easy. I can tell you that. You're right,
1: you know that.
0: Like, it, like making an impact is never easy. It's always like an effort, and you have to be consistent, and you have to have yes. a good work ethic. And... That's
1: the key. Yeah. And I finally decided to channel all my childhood stubborn streak, <laughs> and when I started the podcast, like, okay, I might as well use that for something good, and I'm gonna stay consistent with this. And you're right, it's not easy. You know from doing yours and it's tough but it's very worthwhile and it's one of those things you plant the seeds and you may not see results until months or years down the road but it will come if you stay consistent
0: no i totally agree yeah it's it's like uh it's kind of like a harvest you know like yeah. you plant the seeds it takes months or like even a year but eventually things happen exactly but, uh, I wanted to ask you what is like your favorite type of nonprofit organizations and why? Like, what would be like favorite like category of nonprofit organizations and why? Why is that?
1: You know, the last couple of years, I've learned about a lot more than what I used to, and for a while, it was mainly I worked a lot with organizations that impacted kids and families because, yeah, I just I love kids, I love babies, and I think families are so important. So. That's still, of course, near and dear to my heart. Recently, this year, I've also been working with a couple of really interesting nonprofits that are making more of a global impact. And so getting to be a part of that, one of them produces and creates um, solar-powered audio Bibles in hundreds of languages.
0: Wait, solar-powered what?
1: Audio Bibles.
0: Wait, little, did I hear that right? You did. So hard audio. I have never heard that in my I haven't
1: either. It is the <laughs> coolest thing. And I mean, they're going to these countries where they don't have Wi-Fi, electricity. The harsh desert climates are really hard on smartphones. So these devices are sturdy. Some of them have built-in flashlights. Yeah. And they're solar powered and in all these local tribal dialects so that the people can pass them around and share them and gather around and listen to the Bible in their own language when maybe they've never even heard of it before. So the stories around that and the impact it's making is pretty incredible. So being a part of something like that at a much more global level is really cool.
0: But let me get this straight. So you have like a nonprofit that you know, that wants to put bring the Bible to the regions where there's no Wi-Fi, no electricity, and they're using solar energy to do it. That it's is- on a,
1: It's on a small is, device. Wow. And that's not all. They also just this year launched a death Bible.
0: A what Bible?
1: <laughs> you heard me, a no, death I, I... Bible. Yeah, it's the whole thing, it's like a tablet. And the whole thing is in American Sign Language. So there's someone actually signing the entire Bible. It's the first one that's the full Bible in American Sign Language. And so one of their next goals is to get it in more sign language translations, because I guess there are many throughout the world. So, yeah, they're always working towards trying to translate into more languages. But of course, that takes a lot of resources to do. So I know it's all mind blowing, isn't it?
0: No, I mean, I- I, I I thought I knew, but nonprofits, better wow.
1: Yeah, I know it was a pretty eye opening one for me to learn about. It's been pretty cool to learn how they're expanding their reach.
0: I see. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit mind blown to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> pretty, it's yeah, it's kind.
1: called Mega Voice, so check it out.
0: Yeah, I'm also thinking of the solar powered Bible, and I was like, man, that's. It's like
1: they have different sizes of little pocket-sized devices. And yeah, the entire Bible is on there. It's all enclosed so that like the elements, sand and things can't get in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. But anyways, on a different note, Teresa, um, you know, America, they say it's the land of the free and the place where dreams are made. What do you think about that statement?
1: I think we are very blessed and we have so many opportunities here that we probably take for granted way too much and we really need to steward them well and we need to steward our freedom well and make the most of it. And I think that's partly why I feel so much more urgency around my work is because I have been given so many freedoms and blessings, and I'm able to build an entrepreneurial journey here in America. And I can impact nonprofits at a different level, at a higher level than what so many people could. So I feel like and now I have this responsibility to take these things I've learned and to help impart that to the next generation of leaders, of grant writers, of nonprofits, whatever it is. So I guess to your question, I feel like we are stewards and it's up to us how we want to manage that and how we want to allocate our resources. It's a responsibility that we'll need to account for and I hope we use it well.
0: No, I uh, I, know, right? Uh, I, I personally believe that uh, we can only be free if we are thinking and acting in a, in a relatively like moral way. And like nonprofits are are basically advocating for morality most of the time, you know? I mean, there are a few bad eggs here and there, but for the most part, that like, we have to like put compassion out in the world in order to like remain free. Because I, I think there's like a there's like a statement where I think some some politician or something made the statement where you where you lose your freedoms if like a big chunk of the population lose their morality. And I think uh, helping with uh, helping with nonprofits, like it it keeps them trying to do good, you know?
1: Yes. Yes. And it really starts with, like you said, the compassion and kindness and respect for each other. And learning how can we help each other despite whatever differences, whatever different backgrounds we may have, we can still be kind and compassionate.
0: So, uh, so Teresa, you know, uh, a lot of like Americans right now, they're struggling with uh, realizing the American dream and the American dream is different for different people, obviously. But from a nonprofit standpoint, like you've been in this industry for a long time and uh, when you see a lot of americans try to realize their american dream like what is the biggest hurdle according to you which stops them from attaining what they what they want mm-hmm.
1: i would say it goes hand in hand between funding and also the knowledge and education to understand how to use it and what to do next i talk with a lot of nonprofits that are so Heartfelt and so passionate about whatever their cause is, but they just don't know the strategies and the steps to move forward. So I think the education and the funding go hand in hand because I see both of those two things as a huge hurdle. And I feel like both of those are solvable, that we as a society can help fix that in conversations like this through strategies, through resources that we're creating. I think it is solvable. That right now those are the biggest hurdles.
0: I see. Yeah. um, You know, like when it comes to nonprofits, it's usually for a cause, and it's usually to help people. Uh, But a lot of people, a lot of times, like in our in our society today, like in our American society, we notice that there's been an increase an increase in selfishness and self centeredness altogether, and like they tend to turn everything political. You know, like even something like helping people. Because I remember, like when the when the hurricanes hit in Florida and in Texas over the past few years, like there were organizations that literally tried to help people, but then somehow they would, uh, the the la- the political landscape would just make everything political. Do you think nonprofit uh, is something that is beyond politics, or like it's something that uh, that cannot escape the political landscape altogether? <clears throat>
1: That varies some by the type of nonprofit and the type of work they're doing. Some of them, unfortunately, are hindered by a lot of hoops and a lot of government requirements. Others have more leeway and more freedom. So it depends on their structure and also their funding because some are funded by a lot of government grants. And
0: that that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Right? A lot yeah. of grants are coming from the government, but the government has been politicized over the past two de- two or three decades, maybe even longer than that, but like even something like helping people in a hurricane like that's that becomes like a political thing like okay, you have like organizations that are trying to help, Oh, now you're part of the right or part of the left but 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 the entire point is you're just trying to help people. It's neither the right or the left it's basically it's like the humane thing to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And sometimes that also has an impact on the types of funding available. Like a few years ago, I had written a large federal grant and I had written one and gotten it. And so we knew the process. We knew that we had a very good competitive chance. So we were writing it again the second year for a different school and knew it was a solid application. It We were going to do well. And so we were in touch with the funders. How's everything going? Are you still going to be running the competition this year? And they said, yes, go ahead and submit it. So far, everything is on track. We're good to go. So, I mean, and those are hours and hours and hours of work, like intense, over 100 hours in a very short time that has to be put in to submit these. And so we submitted it. And then a couple of weeks later, as the presidential administration changed, So did their funding priorities. And they pulled the plug on the entire grant program. No way. So, uh, I mean, it would have been half a million dollars for the school district. And, yeah, it was just sickening all that work down the drain, all that funding that they just, it's like it was so close and they were really frustrated. So things can change overnight.
0: Man, uh, so it's kind of like, it's like kind of like a wave. Now it's basically, I mean, over over the past two decades, but that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. Like, what is, what has your experience been like in like this entire, like when it comes to getting grants in this current environment that we're in? Because obviously things have become more selfish and self-centered and polarizing over the past two decades. But this example over here is pretty intense, actually.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, and you know, At the federal grants, things change so fast, it's really hard to keep up sometimes with what are the current trends, what's happening, what's the funding going to be like, because sometimes they will say, you won't even know it's coming out, and then they'll announce it, and maybe you'll have a three-week window to turn around the application and extensive work. And so that's why I've kind of backed away from working on federal grants and focus more on foundations and, like I said, on the teaching and strategy. Because if you have enough other avenues and relationships built up, you don't have to be so heavily reliant on those higher risk pieces that it may change at the drop of a hat or maybe the funding just goes away and gets funneled to something else. So it really is a volatile market sometimes in a sense, but you can look for other avenues that are more stable and lower risk and then you can build up your muscle in a sense, so that if you do apply for the federal grants, not your entire operation is hinging on it. You can still be stable with or without the funding.
0: So, Teresa, like with your experience in, uh, in nonprofit on a national scale, what would be the ideal uh, ideal scenario for nonprofits altogether in a, on a national scale, like uh, the ideal environment where they can thrive? And they can they can help people to the maximum extent, according mm-hmm. to you.
1: That's a really good question. I think if we had a clear, supportive roadmap for nonprofits to help them understand the basic building blocks to get off the ground, instead of making so many hoops and requirements and wait times and all this extensive paperwork for the application, and then you wait months or even a year to get approved. Like, let's reduce some of the busy requirements and the walls to that. Let's take those down and instead let's support them in more strategic ways with clear funding opportunities, clear reasons for funding the work and the mission that they're doing, and opportunities to educate them and to help them truly solve the problem so they can be working in the mission, instead of running around trying to fill out paperwork and find grants, let's actually let them work on the missions they love, so they can make an impact.
0: No, that's no, totally, I agree. That's uh, that's actually it makes rational sense altogether. S- so Teresa, yeah, you are. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit more about the grant, uh, sim- uh, the grant Writing simplified podcast that you have?
1: Sure, I started it with thinking there were certain things I wish I had known when I was a new grant writer. And when I was working with nonprofits and trying to figure out all the things. And now with Google, there's so much information. Even though I didn't have that, there wasn't much to pick from. And now it's overwhelming. So I started grant writing Simplified to help people understand and break it down concept by concept of how to understand the process of grant writing, how to get started, how to be more strategic. And also sometimes I interview other experts in the field to get their perspectives or additional resources on fundraising or what other nonprofits are doing to be successful in their work. So it's a comprehensive view but breaks it down step by step. I like to keep things simple and clear and very Good takeaway. It's very practical. So it's a combination of resources.
0: No, that's that's awesome. Like, yeah, I I know that podcasting can, starting a podcast can be pretty intense, and uh, and yeah, and especially like especially for uh, people such as myself who are, uh, who is like an introvert, and then I know you're an introvert too. But like <laughs> after some time, it gets gets normal, and we get into a rhythm. So it's right. pretty it's pretty good that you started a podcast because it's actually helping a lot of people. And I will definitely recommend my audience to take a look into that.
1: Thank you for that. I appreciate that.
0: So Teresa, is there any other work that you're doing or is there something that you're working on right now that you want the audience to get a glimpse of?
1: Um, I am, well, I just finished the TEDx talk, as you know, recently. And so now I feel like the framework is there and I need to crank out the book. So (laughs) that's on the radar.
0: Can you tell the audience a little bit more about the TEDx talk that you did?
1: Sure. It's called the real ROI of grant writing. And back to what I mentioned before about people often say, oh, just get a grant for that. And then the nonprofit's like, "Okay, how am I supposed to do that when that really just adds more pressure and weight that they don't need? So instead, let's help them truly build a return on impact. In the business world, it's a return on investment. We know you're not going to get your money back, but in the nonprofit world, Grant funders are looking at, where can we make the most impact with these funds? And that may be as many people as possible, or that may be a small group that we can invest in this small community or this little group of students to have a big impact on those lives. So they're looking at that return on impact. And to do that, I talk about my ROI framework of helping build relevance and optimization and interaction. And the thing is, a lot of nonprofits get two of the three right, but without the third one, they're still missing a piece and just not quite getting there. But when they can get all three of those pieces together, that's when they can truly have that return on impact. And we can come alongside them and help them build all three of those or help them fill in the gaps that they're missing. Because, I mean, nonprofit work, (laughs) it's tough. It's hard. It takes consistency. And they can't do it alone. They need us to help. And oh. so that is how we can help them and then truly have a bigger impact on those missions.
0: All right. That's that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I would definitely recommend my audience to take a look at that TEDx talk, you know? Yeah, and, it's on uh,
1: YouTube. They can search my name or search ROI of grant writing and it'll pop up.
0: So Teresa, where can our audience go to connect with you and get to know more about your work and what you're doing?
1: Sure. My website is TeresaHuff.com. And I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. So you can connect with me over there. And I love hearing from people. I love hearing their stories and the work that you're doing in the world. So feel free to reach out and send me a message. And then of course, the podcast Grant Writing Simplified is on any podcast player. And so pick your favorite and subscribe there.
0: Awesome, Teresa. I'm really honored to have you as a guest on this podcast. You know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a small feat to get millions and grants for different organizations altogether. And what you're doing is creating a really positive impact in this world and in America. Like you're truly an extraordinary American. And I would be honored to have you as a guest back on the show.
1: Thank you. It's been an honor to be here and to be in the lineup of what you call extraordinary Americans. I mean, I feel like just an everyday person, but all of us have something extraordinary I'm, that we need to do. so yeah, thank you.
0: I mean, that's what the show is about. it's about It's about us ordinary Americans get doing extraordinary stuff, like fighting against the odds and then making things work, right? right. And uh, anyways, I want to conclude this show by telling my fellow extraordinary Americans that there's an extraordinary within each and every one of us, is it's our duty to unleash and awaken it. Until next time, bye for now. Hey there everyone, thank you for watching extraordinary America. If you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted to inflation, And then the practical thing to do is to protect the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.